College football is back in the biggest, most epic kickoff weekend ever. Top-ranked teams and top-tier matchups. We have as good an opening week slate of games than I can ever remember. Number 20, USC takes on the top-ranked defending champion Crimson Tide. Number 10, Notre Dame faces Texas. And number 11, Ole Miss battles the fourth-ranked Seminoles. The road to the college football playoff starts. Labor Day weekend on ABC, ESPN, and streaming live on the ESPN app. And watch ESPN. Hey there, learn how to make millions in your own business with The Profit coming up. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. I was going to do that uh, Egyptian. Oh, yeah. Yeah, shit. <laughs> I, I like mixed Egyptian. Up. The no. Bengals, Madonna, same go. thing, right? Uh, welcome, uh, After Buzzers, here to The Prophet uh, with Marcus Lamonis. We're on episode two, season four, and we got some exciting things to talk about here tonight. I'm Chris Howard, one of your two lovely co hosts. Uh, and uh, you can reach me throughout the episode at Chris Howard Live on Twitter and Instagram, as well as at legendarylivingdaily.com. For daily tips, entrepreneurial stuff, all sorts of fun stuff, make sure to go there and download that. Now, over to the one, the only, Katarina Kozayas. Hey, everyone. Welcome, welcome. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kozayas Katarina. Find me on Instagram at Katarina Kozayas. So either of those two variations, <laughs> you can find me. What I want to find out is, I've been hanging out with you here, doing The Profit, watching The Profit, not doing The Profit, watching well, The Profit. with that? Yeah, that's but, a little... you know what? You talked about making a million dollars. Yes. And I want to make a million dollars. You do. You're I in the do. right place. So thank you for tuning in with us because we're going to try and figure out how. <laughs> well, how to make a million dollars. Well, we are looking at a business tonight that's a million dollar business. Yes. They're, they're turning a, a million dollars a year. They did about 900,000 mm-hmm. uh, gross revenue last the, the Fashion year retail sales, mm-hmm. which is why we started with Vogue. Yeah, there was a reason. There's a method to our madness. We don't just put Madonna on like that for nothing. I mean, there's there's yeah. there's a science to this type a- of thing. Absolutely. What did you think of the episode? Well, uh, you know, I thought it was a great episode. I always liked The Prophet. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little weird, though, because at the end, it looked like there was another episode coming up, and I wasn't privy to what was happening. So they might have had two episodes back to back. We got to figure out what, the, and they didn't coordinate with it. They didn't they, ask they us. They didn't let us know. Yeah. <laughs> so the nerve. Um, the nerve. It, yes, the nerve. Uh, the the nerve. Uh, what do you think of the episode overall? Did you like it? I did like it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, what I found interesting. So the the episode was about uh, not even a fashion retail store. It was more about a brand, right? A, brand, a movement. Delacia. Dalasha. 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 I had to do it phonetically. Dalasha. Duh. Okay, thank you. Dalasha. Yeah, it was fashiony. What I found interesting was that Marcus has a lot of fashiony type businesses, retail businesses already in his portfolio. You're going to say it, No, no. No, hold on. Say what you said earlier. Come on. We'll get to that when it's relevant. Keep it real. It's relevant right now. Okay. All right. On that note, he has a lot of fashion businesses in his portfolio. So I found it interesting that he was wanting to invest in yet another one. That's not what you said earlier. (laughs) What I said earlier was perhaps Marcus, whom I love, needs to take a little fashion advice because (laughs) he is so lovely, but... Marcus. That's not you, how you, you said got, it. You got a little bit of the dorky outfit going on. Okay, I'm okay. Sorry, no, we, Marcus, no, Marcus I'm is sorry. a friend. Um. <laughs> you know what? I just I have a thing with men that tuck their shirts in. 
Really? I like shirts untucked. No kidding. Yes. Well. well there uh, uh, we go. You see, and this is why I'm here <laughs> with him on a Tuesday night. Now, the, the thing is, uh, now you said that, so I thought that was, I'm sorry, I coaxed that out of you. And That's okay. Marcus, I, we're big fans. So. Marcus, you know what? I just, the, the little white shirt tucked in the jeans with the little white shoes. <laughs> Well, hang on with Delosia. Anyway, we'll move move beyond that. <laughs> and uh, Delosia, uh, interesting. You know what, though? To Marcus's credit, yes. Patrick Delosia, who was the owner of the store, didn't look like he was that much more fashion no. savvy in terms of the way he dressed Correct. himself, right? I almost didn't get that uh, out. Um, right. Yes. <laughs> Right, okay, right. so sorry, we were uh, paying attention to uh, uh, other the, things. The atmosphere. The, the atmosphere, and we got distracted for a moment, <laughs> but we're right here with you live. So, Patrick Delasia. Delasia, yeah. Was, I mean, he started his business embroidering t-shirts, deckling t-shirts. Um, what, what, what did he do? Uh, bedazzling them. Bedazzling <laughs> no, he them, wasn't bedazzling. bedazzling. <laughs> uh, basically designing them. Designing, designing t-shirts. t-shirts. Yeah, so t-shirts is his bag. That's his game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're mostly, they're kind of simple design type t-shirts. Yeah. He has a uh, contract, uh, some sort of a licensure agreement with TMZ, mm-hmm. which is pretty uh, pretty exciting. That's pretty big. That's uh, pretty big. If you're licensing all TMZ stuff, yeah. Yeah. So the the way they do, the people go through a web portal. They'll uh, click online and they can go straight through from TMZ to buy the TMZ T-shirts. And uh, Patrick Delash is the guy who 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 makes those. So that's mm-hmm. that's a pretty big. Uh, connection to have mm-hmm. and uh, he's also pretty well set up with uh, retailers uh, like Nordstrom's and Barney's uh, Barney where that Barney's must be an East Coast thing yeah Barney's uh, East Coast and also Kitson which closed right uh, Kitson was 30% of his business which so they took a hit is in huge 2016. and let's talk about that for a mm-hmm. second so they did take a hit it was 30% of the business it was roughly 300 grand that was coming in Annual, well, their revenues have been up and down for a, a few years, but um, uh, r- roughly 30% of the business. What does that tell you, um, Katarina Kazayas? Mm-hmm. What does that tell you about uh, having uh, multiple streams of, of revenue and the necessity for it? Oh, it, that there is a necessity for it. Thank I mean, you, you. Thank you. you lose, <laughs> we are so profound We're here so at AfterBuzz. Yeah, but, uh, but no, seriously, if you lose one account... And your You're business screwed. gets hit by 30%. That's a lot. So right. you really, I think, Marcus identified right away that we need to branch out, open this up, and become a wholesaler to a lot more retailers mm. Mm. Than, I, than he was just doing. For, somewhere, and I don't remember where I got this information. Like, I've been around for 46 years, so things okay. just kind of, you know, it's like, what? Where'd that come from? But I, I've read someplace that when Coca-Cola... Uh, decided that their customers weren't the end users. They weren't the people that drank Mm Coca-Cola. It was rather the distributors. Their sales multiplied infinitely overnight because they began to really focus differently in terms of all the marketing efforts and whatnot. I mean, obviously, if you collect distributors rather than collecting end users, I mean, that's that's an entirely different platform that you're Mm -hmm. playing on, which essentially is what they really needed to do, not relying on one or two. Uh, birds in the hand. What do they say? Uh, bird of a hand and the feather flocks together. No, in that's a bush. A bird. Two yeah. birds in the hand is worth one in the bush. Two birds Thank in the hand is worth Thank one in the you. bush. That comes from the heavens up above. <laughs> there should be heavenly Sorry, music. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Oh, oh okay. A, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. But you're do, correct. Yeah. Do you have any heavenly music to go with your voice? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> 
We have too much okay, fun here at After Buzz. <laughs> but, um, but thank yes. you. Yeah, no, no. That, yes, that's a exactly bird in right. the bush is worth uh, two friends <laughs> flocking. All right. So, <laughs> so uh, Marcus comes into the business. Let's talk about uh, his uh, initial assessment. Okay. Uh, that process. He, come, he gets there to the business. and uh, He comes into the business. Now, the thing with this business is it's a family business. Mm-hmm. So, backing up, you've got Patrick, who was the original creator and owner of the company. He right. owns 100% of the business. But the business is run with him and his two siblings. Yes. So, Kelly on the logistics operations side and his brother Dan on the finance numbers side. Right. Dan and Kelly are both older than Patrick, so he's the youngest. And they have had their whole life this attitude of making sure Patrick was okay. Kind of taking care of Patrick. Taking yeah, that- care of Patrick. And, and unfortunately, as it pertains to the business, allowing Patrick to do a bunch of things that maybe... Patrick shouldn't have done, wouldn't have done, had he had an impartial logistics director or CFO in place. What was kind of weird was how, uh, what's the word I want? Like in Australia, they say, I'm not Australian, but I spent a lot of time there. (laughs) But I play one on TV. um, But uh, they'll say, suki lala. Oh, don't be a suki lala. What's a suki lala? I have, well, it's just like Like a suk, like always kind of whiny and kind of... uh, so don't be a sookie lala. Okay. Um, but like I kind of got that sense with Patrick that he was a bit of a sookie lala. Yes. That he was uh, kind of a whiner, complainer, um, and uh, you know, they, and they had this codependent relationship between him and, and the brother the and sister that yeah. had to take care of him. And you know, I say that with respect because Patrick mm-hmm. obviously has an incredible talent, an incredible creative mm-hmm. As talent. As a designer, yes. Yeah, and I actually liked. The brother and sister as well. I liked mm-hmm. who they were and I liked the, the personalities, but this strange family dynamic mm-hmm. was clearly getting in the way. What, did you Have think? you ever worked with family? Have I worked with family? I Yeah. You know what? I hired both my parents at one point. Okay. Uh, and uh, how did that work out? Well, I fired them too. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> no, I hired both my parents. The the weird part was I had a CFO that was inside the organization, and he ended up saying, "Oh, we're going to let your parents go." And then I felt bad about it. Mm-hmm. The, 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 he was letting my parents go, and uh, they had a pretty good gig. They were running a fulfillment house for my products, for uh, CDs and tapes and books and stuff like that. Cool. And they said, "Yeah," and it was right out of their home, so they could they could yeah. do that business after they were retired. So right. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and kept them involved. Yeah. Uh, I, I have hired friends where it got a little weird uh, when the friends didn't perform as much as I wanted them to or as much as they should have in the eyes of that was more when I was a manager rather than owning my own company. Okay. And that can, that got a little weird. Mm-hmm. Um, how about how about you? You worked with family? I have worked with family. Yeah. yeah. And my experience was a good one. Um, was it? Yeah, it, it was. I was uh, I was working um, with and for and under my brother-in-law for God, about seven years. Wow. Yeah, a long time. And um, and we really, at first I was nervous because you're thinking, it's that family business, what's going to happen here? Right. Uh, but it, it ended up working really, really well because you have an element of trust, you have an element of loyalty, you have an element of sticking your neck out a little bit further than you would if it was just a paycheck. Right. Um, and on the flip side, I had a lot of flexibility uh, to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. So right. for me, it was a great experience, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, what what business was that in? What type of business? Um, we were uh, building and marketing yachts. 
Yeah, yacht business. <laughs> it was fun. We just happened to be in the yacht business. <laughs> we just and, had to like yeah. build yachts and travel around travel yachts and around, hang around yeah. them. So I mean, that added to the, um, the you know the, the ease of the work, uh, no. the fun no, of the no, work. No, no, the fun of the work. We did work hard. I, you know, I had a, a family friend that I brought in to help me from a financial perspective when I had problems in my last business. Mm-hmm. And what was really nice about that was that I could trust her. So as you had mentioned, there's a certain amount of trust that's there. And, you know, when all hell was breaking loose in the business, Mm -hmm. I knew that she had my back. And that's... And you could see that in this episode. You could see that all three siblings had each other's backs. Now, what they didn't have was a growing business. So in 2014, (laughs) 2014, sales were about a million dollars. Right. In 2015, that dipped to about 900,000. And in 2016 is when they lost the Kitson account. $600,000. $600,000. So within about a year and yeah. a half, they were at almost 50%. And that's, once again, speaks to the issue of having, mm-hmm. you know, they say don't put all your eggs in one basket. Warren Buffett says put all your eggs in one basket and watch that basket wisely. Very carefully, <laughs> yeah. right. But, you know, even within that one basket, you need to delineate mm-hmm. the eggs and have them in different places. And so, or have different flows into the basket. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really the problem is they didn't have enough flows into the basket. They didn't have enough ex- brand extensions in the market. And that's when they called Marcus. They call Marcus in. He comes in. And uh, I think, for me, the biggest issues that he had to deal with in this, I, I want to say, are the, the people issues. Mm. Uh, I, obviously, there were other things that happened in the episode as well. But I, it, I think that the relationships were so dysfunctional that if the relationships didn't change, nothing was going to change. Well, I, I think what needed to change the most, though, was Patrick, because he seemed very inflexible to change. Right. And this was a concern that was voiced by his brother and sister. Was right. They had ideas, they were pushing him to do things, and he just was refusing to do them. So how important is a willingness to pivot and to change when time demands you to do that? I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> I mean, I'm finding it pretty easy. <laughs> this is why I was not in Madonna's video. Yes, strike a pose. <laughs> uh, the uh, willingness to pivot and change. Well, I mean, you have to, you got to deal with what you got to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was refusing, he was very resistant to all of it. Right. Yeah. Every, every idea that came up, I, even it, when Marcus came in. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Like the, the resistance. You know, God bless Marcus Limonis, because I would have, uh, it would frustrate me to have to deal with that kind of uh, uh, resistance. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, once again, I, I really admire the creative uh, ability of, of Patrick, but uh, the, the whiny uh, nature in relationship mm-hmm. to every change that had to be made in order to move things forward. And one of the big things that they had to move forward was the fact that they were they had the storefront, which was only turning sixty thousand dollars in revenue. The total, all the revenue that's coming in, we're talking about a million, million yeah. nine hundred thousand, then six hundred, whatever it is, sixty grand coming out of that storefront, and it was such a time waster. It was sucking up his time, Patrick's time in terms of stocking it, keeping house, and, and all of that. The rent was uh, what three thousand dollars a month, three k a month. Yeah. The thing is with Patrick is he is a creative guy. He's the right. creative mind behind this whole brand and he was being wasted and wasting his time 
doing the day-to-day tasks. Well, Absolutely. And, yeah, and you know what's interesting is I just kind of played devil's advocate in my own head here because uh, essentially what happened in the episode, and if you haven't watched it, by all means, go and watch the episode. Lots of learnings in there. Um, but essentially what happened in the episode was Marcus uh, found Patrick another place where he could uh, do his design work and, and, and whatnot. And it was only $650 in rent. He wouldn't have his own storefront, but they would find multiple uh, distributors in the marketplace. Right. And uh, for me, I just played devil's advocate. It's kind of like as a creative person, mm-hmm. you do want to have a space that fosters the creativity as well. Uh, now, uh, Marcus brought Patrick over to uh, what? Uh, what's the name of the store? It's his other store, uh, uh, B. It's uh, oh yes, um, in Greenwich, in it. Connecticut. Yes, it's going to come Courage B. Courage B. So it's another uh, clothing store that Marcus has a stake in, and uh, they went over to Courage B and found a room there where. Uh, he could do his design work and that type of thing. Or did, 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 uh, did they, they actually found, do no, that, They found that room well, they that just was in downtown Los Angeles. Okay, I apologize. Yeah. So they, they were went, saying they just used right. it as an example. Sure. Right, that they were renting out room for like $650 rather than the $3,000 uh, that he was paying. There was no need to have the storefront. But there is something to be said about being in a creative environment. And, and I think to Patrick's point, his concern moving away from his retail store, which he loved, was... Hey, am I going to be inspired sitting in this little room in the back? In a, right. And, uh, and and Marcus's argument was, well, yes, because you won't be distracted. <laughs> yeah, because you're going to be doing you're going to be doing work. Okay, so I had misinterpreted that. I thought yeah. he was going over to the the ladies' place, but uh, right. wasn't so. Um, in any case, uh, let's see. What did what... you think of the um, the initial split uh, of the product? Thirty five percent menswear. Ah. Forty five percent kids. And only 20% women, even though most retail businesses that do work in fashion, if they have a split, have at least 50% being women items. Right. So we're looking at... uh, Low there. Yeah, exactly. So we had, what, 20% women. And uh, so he was missing a a large portion of the marketplace. I mean, there's always the argument to be made that uh, niche markets, uh, you know, at least you you take that big uh, cross-section of that niche. But uh, I think Marcus was spot on in his call in terms of pointing that out, that they had so little uh, women's wear. And if they wanted big retailers to be their distributors, uh, they were going to have to move into uh, And the thing with women's, women's, wear. women's wear is it also comes usually with a higher price point yep. and higher margins. Yes, and there, uh, higher bundled purchases, he mm-hmm. said, by adding in other types of clothing. You get a hoodie, you get a t-shirt, you may add the shorts. The hoodie. The hoodie. What would you yeah. think of the new hoodie design? I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of up in the air about that. I think what they did, because originally he had the design with the zipper over the top of the head. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I, like Marcus, had the uh, notion that, hey, it's good that he's being creative because you want the, that, that, those Something juices to flow. Sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know that anybody would buy that. I, I think they ended up removing the zipper on the hoodie, didn't they? Yeah, so they, they, did. they only had the zipper. So they had the zippers. On so it was a hoodie sleeves, on the sleeve so you could detach them. Uh, there's a higher level of perceived value with that and maybe even real value. Uh, I, I liked it. I liked it. I, I liked I certainly liked what Marcus was able to do in terms of uh, adding life to other areas of the brand rather than just T-shirts, because uh, originally 
Patrick was selling only T-shirts, mm-hmm. and the average price of a T-shirt, $15. He said that the aggregate purchase per person was about 58 I think. 58 Yeah, about $58 <laughs> because of the fact, yeah, average order about $58, whereas when they added more items... Uh, it should go up to the average order per person should go up to about $110. Right, so almost doubling the average order yeah. by offering additional product line or product products. Product products. Right. Products, products, yeah. The product products. Yeah, I thought, uh, I thought, so that's obviously a great idea. The other thing that uh, really stood out to me was the inventory mm. uh, and the numbers. Let's talk about the inventory when Marcus arrived and the numbers. So the inventory when Marcus arrived was. <laughs> a store full of a bunch of t-shirts that no one was buying. Right. So effectively what was happening was any idea that he had in terms of a design for a t-shirt, he would just put into production. And he wouldn't take the time to A, understand whether or not anyone wanted this design, <laughs> B, understand how many t-shirts he actually had to produce, and C, figure out a way to sell them. So they ended up just with a store full of unusable, unwanted stuff. Stuff. That's a technical yeah, thing. Yeah, that's, you know, it's so <laughs> technical here. I love it. <laughs> well, and but I lo- um, the inventory was just wasteful. Right. And what's, what I really loved was how Marcus used the metaphor, the analogy of a bakery because mm-hmm. their father was a baker. And he said, if you go into, when your father got up and he was, he was a baker for 40 years, I 40 think he years, said. 40 years, yeah, 43. Yeah, and when he would sell bread, uh, he said, how does he know how much bread to bake? You know, and they said, well, it's because there were orders that were put in for the bread. And so they, so he knows how, he knows his numbers. Mm-hmm. So he knows how much bread to bake because the worst thing that could happen inside of a, uh, a business like that, a food business or any type of restaurant business is waste. Right. And he said, just as you could have a loaf of bread that could go bad and be wasteful, you've got all this waste. He made that correlation to the t-shirts. And I think that's when the light bulb kind of clicked for Patrick. What I found interesting though, was he had all three siblings in the room and he asked them, what are the numbers? What is the cost on this? What are you, what are you turning over? What are your numbers? Not one of them could answer him. Yeah, see, so, I'm, wow, you're in business and you don't know your own numbers? Well, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, I remember when I first launched my last business, it was in 2002, mm-hmm. and my business partner did the same thing. I mean, he drilled me on He's like, what are the numbers? How much is this? How much is that? How much is this? And I was just peppered and you know, kind of off balance. I didn't sure. I didn't know at the time. Now I know a lot better mm. that now you, know you got to know. know your, yeah, you right. don't. And Marcus made the point. He said, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. You don't know how to do your projections. You don't know how to you can't analyze forecast yeah. cash flow. Mm-hmm. You can't know what to get rid of. You can't know what's selling you can't versus even, you what's can't not. Even figure out what your profit margin is. Right. You can't figure anything out no, without knowing yeah. the numbers. Uh, then now they did, to their credit, they did know the the overall numbers. I was kind of surprised that they uh, spit those out so early. At least, what are these numbers? They knew those, mm-hmm. but they didn't know it at a ch- a lower. Uh, chunk, Detailed, lower yeah. level of detail now, do in you regards find that to the reckless? t-shirt sales. Do I find it reckless? Yes. Yeah, totally reckless. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not. It's what you don't know that you don't know that does mm-hmm. you in. And I, they just didn't have uh, the knowledge that they needed to have that knowledge. And Dan, who was in charge of finances, the older brother, was enabling. And that's the point that uh, Marcus had pointed out. He said, you're, you're both you and your, you're both enabling uh, yeah. Patrick. In your attempt to be supportive, right? 
you're enabling him to run the business into the ground. <laughs> yeah. You know, there was a kind of a strange thing because their mother had given them $300,000 when she, she had passed, passed away. away a few years ago. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. They each got a third, a third, a third, a third. But what I didn't get in the family dynamic was why was the mother always saying, oh, I'm so glad that you two take care of your brother? I think it's a motherly thing when you've got the youngest baby at home and he's the youngest one that you just always ask the older kids to take care of them. But then why also was the older brother and older sister working for free at the store? <laughs> because... They are taking care of their little brother. And why is he the only one getting paid? <laughs> and why does he own 100% and they own nothing? <laughs> so he owned 100%. They own nothing. They were working for free. They hadn't been paid in six months. Right. Uh, Marcus comes in with an offer. Yeah. For 50% of the business. Which was surprising. Which was surprising because he usually doesn't go in that, that heavy. Well, that heavy, but also uh, he's usually not a fan of 50-50 partnerships. Right. That somebody's got to have the controlling interest to be the decision maker. But the stipulation was that he's totally in control. Uh, I guess that goes on for a lifetime. I, you know, I didn't know if that was indefinite or if that... Uh, had some sort of a timeline on it. In, in Again, these episodes. if I had Marcus walk into my business with an offer to become partners with him taking most of the control, I would say, okay. <laughs> Just that easily. Um, yes, because if I were the creative person, I wouldn't want the operating control anyway. Really? No. No kidding. No. God, want to get into I'd business? Want, I'd want to. <laughs> I'd want to just like play around with my pink fabric. Yeah. And, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. All right. Uh, but, so go on. So we offered two hundred thousand dollars for fifty percent of the business. Yeah. Uh, with a stipulation that over time, his portion would drop to forty percent. Marcus's. I don't think it was over time. I think he was giving it to him right away. Uh, and I think there was a little time lapse. Okay. A little time lapse. But it wasn't but like it, a vested interest no, where they had to work for it. Yeah, basically what he said was, I'll take my per my percentage to 40. Right. You, Patrick, take yours to 40. And we'll give each of your siblings 10% equity interest to keep them invested. Which then sounded, it, that sounded like a typical Marcus deal yeah. where he was really... He wants everyone to be Look at the big smile you it. got. That's why I love Marcus. Yes, that's why Marcus, we like... we just got to untuck your shirt, baby, and you're great. Uh, you go. <laughs> You may get a date that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, she's single. I uh, yeah. <laughs> I uh, but in any case, uh, I'm sorry to advertise you here That's on every okay. episode. That's all right. <laughs> um, so, yes, I, I love that deal. The, you know, giving 10% to each of the siblings yeah. it really made a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the fascinating part to me, though, is still why he's the focal point of the family. Because he's the youngest brother. Do Is that how it works? No, sisters? but my dog was a run. No, see, you don't know. <laughs> I'm the older sister. Okay. And I would for sure end up working for free for my sister. For free? Yeah. With all your time? Probably. Really? Yeah, I love her that much. Wow. I know. That's why. Wow. I can tell you didn't have any brothers no, and no, sisters. But you just, no, you I have a little brother. Other. I have a little brother, but he's doing quite well. He's a little, he's, little. No, he's actually bigger than me. <laughs> <laughs> but I just saw your Is eyes kind of get teary. Uh, no, he's married, and uh, yeah. Otherwise, you could have him. Taunting. Um, there you go. <laughs> but um, but no, I I, I could. Um, it's absolutely clear to me why they would do that. Why they would? Why they would be in that business working? for Well, free. I, I don't mind the idea of working for free if they have multiple things or multiple ventures or they're taking care of themselves. But for them to be working for free to the point of uh, bankruptcy bankruptcy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i just find that fascinating 
Yeah. So are they all reckless? Um, yeah, I believe they all yeah, uh, were reckless. And by the way, it's not an insult. It's just, you know, you kind of you watch the episode and it's always easier to backseat drive yeah, than it is to be in the position. And the reality is, is that at any stage of my business, and we used to have this all the time, people would, consultants would come in and tell us why we were idiots. Okay. And, you know, and but, they, but that's what you pay them to, to do. Yeah, come and tell me why I'm an idiot. You know, and they go, well, you should be doing that. You should be doing that. You should be doing that. And we're like, yes, we know. And we, you know, we just did, uh, you know, five million in sales or eight million in sales, and and so tell us that we're idiots. We know that we miss those things, but those same consultants were the ones that weren't making any money, you know. But they could always point out what you should be doing online or what you should be doing over here, but they weren't responsible for the lion's share of the revenue. So well, and, and and I was going to say, speaking of consultant, which is almost what Marcus is in there to do. Right. He identified that one of the biggest issues for this company was the fact that there was a lack of process. Yeah. Again. As always. Yeah. You know, no, no control. Specifically in, in the in the design, in the design is what we're looking. I guess it moved into other areas, but let's talk yeah. about that design sure. process. Yeah. So there wasn't one. <laughs> but you have these profound. I'm just so on point tonight. <laughs> um, no, I, effectively he was again just creating product. And and um, right. and with with no sense of why or to for who it was for or how it was going to sell, and uh, Marcus really tried to uh, get Patrick to understand that you you have to have some structure. Some structure. That's why they went to uh, Courage B. Courage B. Yeah, and talk to the ladies over at Courage B about Jocelyn and Ashley. Oh, thank you for throwing yes. that in. I didn't have to go looking through my there pages. Actually, I wouldn't have to do that. Jocelyn, Angie, or er, uh, Ashley. Jocelyn and Ashley. <laughs> Ashley, we know your ladies, names. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> we know your names. Come on. Um, <laughs> but he went to talk to the ladies at Courage B hmm. and to take, and this is why I, I really appreciate this in, in terms of how Marcus operates. He's a fan of collecting best practices. Yes. And uh, it's always been my philosophy, go and find out how it's done and the best of the best. And then, uh, you know, accumulate ideas from all over the place. So he takes a, he takes Patrick over to see how they do their design process. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you want to map it out? Um, you know. Or not. Yeah. No, I don't mind. You can I don't say mind. no. <laughs> I wrote it down. Okay, you tell them. <laughs> no, but, but no, I did. I wrote it down. You, wrote I, the whole you know, I, down? you know, I kind of set you up a couple of times. I wasn't really no, having your okay. back. No, it's okay. It's okay. No, it's all right. All right. No, hey. I don't mind. Well, I mean, basically, what 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 he went in there. I can do it. I'll sure do you it. can. I guess sure you I got can. It. We'll see. Um, so Ashley and Jocelyn. Yes. <laughs> had a whole process whereby effectively they design it. They sketch it on paper. Their design. Yeah. They then make a prototype. Yes. The one prototype. In the fabric, cut, printed, comes into their design studio, and they then feel it, touch it, look at it, and after they've done that, then make the decision as to whether or not they're going to go order 3,000 of okay, them. Okay, you knew how it I, was done. I know everything. <laughs> now, whether I want to participate in your little games or not. Oh, oh that's so that's harsh. But, uh, but no, basically, they had a really good process in place. Right. Before they started blowing a bunch of money on inventory. Yes. And Marcus was trying to get Patrick to understand that that's how it should be done. That's how it's done. And, and that's and, and Marcus pointed out in the beginning how much waste there was with the inventory. Mm-hmm. Uh, they counted up the silk screens. They went over to the silk screeners and they, they found that there was about $26,500 about. 
about twenty six thousand five hundred dollars it was wasted roughly right in there that range wasted on silk screens that were created Mm -hmm. uh but never used because there were out of 200 silk screens they only used 50 of them that were 25 percent yeah they're really nice they're they're well they're well selling i I can't speak right so i can no they're good they're good selling (laughs) their best selling t-shirts were encompassed with it yes it is very late so if you're watching us in the morning it's not our fault Uh, but there were 50 t-shirts that were selling well and there were 200 uh, print designs right. yeah so effectively the process was broken yeah i'm saying they had more shit than they needed yes <laughs> let's just let's just get real but they, they so they had that but in addition they had wasted money on the creation of the t-shirts mm-hmm. and the storage of the t-shirts so all in all marcus found that there was about probably about fifty thousand dollars worth of wasted yeah. activity there in creation uh when they dug through the store they threw it away. It's like the bad bread at the bakery that had been, uh, there was just, yeah, it wasn't being bad. eaten, had yeah. gone bad. Mm-hmm. It w- And, you know, this is not unusual for him to go and throw out what's not working. Right. Focus on what is. Uh, and, uh, you know, I went on that tirade of thought and I have no idea why. <laughs> um, um, no, we <laughs> it's relevant the for the episode, <laughs> right? <laughs> We were talking about the uh, the, the, the process. The process. Oh, so then what they could do, but knowing what not, knowing what's not selling, mm-hmm. they can then focus on creating more of what's selling, right? And also opening up the women's line, like they decided to do. Yeah. And so Patrick yes. was tasked with developing a whole uh, range of product, mm-hmm. uh, but doing it under this process. So right. he went back to his drawing design studio. Um, made his little samples mm-hmm. and then brought that to Marcus and the gang. And they were very impressed. And they were impressed. And they were impressed because he is a creative guy. Right. And he stuck to his creativity. And that is that's his thing. where he's going to make his money. See, yeah. and here's where Marcus did the role separation like mm-hmm. he'll often do. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at first, while well, I say they were impressed, Marcus was impressed that he stuck to the process. Dan had actually put him down and told him he didn't like the designs. And Dan says, uh, you know, I did that to be mean to him. Mm -hmm. Marcus says, why would you be mean to him? And he says, uh, because I uh, I want him to really strive so that we can all come together to create this. And I loved... Uh, what, what did you think about Marcus's response to that when he said that? You know, I thought thought it was fair. I mean, you don't want to put the guy down. And if anything, Dan... You're not the designer, right. so <laughs> this is probably one place you shouldn't step in and comment, right? So you're Marcus the finance guy, slammed so sla- him. He said, "Yeah, what, since when does right. uh, do we design by consensus?" Right. And um, I felt like, wow, that that made me feel good because I thought that if you know if Marcus came in and I was in Patrick's shoes mm-hmm. to find that he was defending the boundary conditions of my role like that mm-hmm. that you know there, we think oftentimes of boundaries having limiting freedom but they they can actually give freedom because it's like okay good you don't get a step on me here right yeah this is my place to I'm in charge of the creative and, you know, I, you can only imagine being in the shoes of a Patrick who owned 100% of his business. Yes. He's a creative type. And he's he's scared. He was scared throughout the episode. kept saying it. But he was scared of what Marcus was going to do to the business and what, you know, of losing control. But when Marcus stands up for him in that way, in that specific incidence, it lets him know that, yes, he does have control within his own sphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I felt like, wow, that must feel... Like a nice sense of freedom and be reassured. And a nice sense of security. Yes. Yeah. 
-hmm. Yeah, because you got you can mm -hmm. you can do what you want. Now this yeah. was an important exercise for Patrick because they were then going to take this line of product mm -hmm. and try and sell it to Bloomingdale's, which is a massive national account. Yep. So they go to New York, and what happens? Ah, what yeah, happens? Well, let's toss it. Table. Toss it to me. Got it. Awesome. Okay, go. so they go to New York, and they're presenting to Bloomingdale's. And once again, if you even if you don't even listen to us tell, talk about the episode, still go watch the episode. Yeah, it's a great episode. I like this one. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I think that there's always more to learn. You can watch it two, three times and uh, find greater nuances that can help you to make your business go. And you know, it's my uh, my assertion. That we can learn a lot from these shows. That's uh, why I, I like this show because of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like what, anyone that's a business owner should be watching this show. Or if you want to be a business owner, right? Uh, yeah, this is mm -hmm. best practices. Or like a university case study. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Or like if like you have a brother exercise. that wants to be. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so they go to Blooming Deals and they uh, show the fashion. I really liked uh -huh. uh, how Patrick stepped up to the plate and he was he was showing his goods mm -hmm. uh, the ladies at Bloomingdale's loved it they liked the presentation and I think Marcus said he was really in his element there uh, how'd you feel about it uh, you know what he Marcus had sort of identified that Patrick would be good at sales from the beginning because of his ability to get accounts like TMZ right or Kitson or some of these bigger accounts and I think it just proved to Marcus that what he had seen in Patrick, what he thought he had seen at the beginning, he really did see. Yes. Um, Patrick knew his stuff. He was good at selling. And he was actually, in that Bloomingdale's meeting, receptive to getting some critical feedback. Which he hadn't been before right. at Courage B. Right. Yeah. He The, the first time they brought his, uh, his, his items out and people were giving him some critique, didn't go well. Right. But I think he learned his lesson that he had to be open and malleable to, you know, getting ideas. And, uh, and, and he did that. And he went back. He tweaked a few of the products, brought them back to Bloomingdale's for the trunk show, and seemingly went well. Even though, right. like, even though I had said before that he was a bit of a sukilala, um, <laughs> we, that's, a, yeah, that's a technical term once again. Um, how do you feel uh -huh. about, just to play devil's advocate in terms of that thought, how do you feel about his ability to take feedback throughout the episode. I think it's going to be something he has to struggle with. But again, yeah. I think part of the reason he's got a tough time with it is because he was the youngest of three kids. And as the youngest of three kids, my experience with people that have three kids is the youngest one kind of gets away with whatever he wants to get away really? with. So they're not very receptive to getting feedback. Uh, no. It's like millennials. Yes. yes. <laughs> no. no, but I uh, see... I thought, because uh, I, when I take a step back from the episode and look at it in retrospect, even though he seemed to struggle with getting the feedback at first, mm -hmm. we there was an underlying theme of him implementing feedback, right? So he implemented the feedback that he got before about being bad at taking feedback. And so he comes in, and then when he puts the little pink drawstrings on the shorts like they had asked for at Bloomingdale's, he makes it the way that they wanted uh, when he implemented the design process that they were using over at Courage B. So what's, what's fascinating about that is that typically people that are bad at taking feedback, because I trained speakers and presenters, I've trained mm -hmm. them for years, and there's the people that are bad at taking feedback aren't usually the ones that are implementing the feedback you give. Mm -hmm. But what was interesting, yeah, he struggled with taking the feedback, but then he would go and he would implement the feedback. And so 
if truly he proves to be that malleable over time, you know, and he's that quick of a learner. Then that's great for him. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, there was there there was some personal growth in this episode for him. Absolutely. I think it was all about personal Absolutely. growth. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, and so uh, Bloomingdale's, uh, they got an opportunity. How did you feel about the opportunity? Did he... Uh, did Patrick show up in the in the best way he could have or not? So for those that may have missed the episode, they have the initial meeting with Bloomingdale's, show them some of the things. Bloomingdale's says, we like it. We're going to invite you into our New York store, give you the opportunity to, to do a trunk, trunk show. Trunk show, yeah. Trunk show, where we set up a little area in Bloomingdale's. People come in. They can check out your product. Uh, <laughs> what happened was the boxes of inventory that were delivered showed up but the boxes with the key items right did not show up and okay things happen um shipments are lost things can go a little yeah what did you feel like when you heard that the box didn't show up did you go box with the the main most important t-shirts didn't show up i thought oh gosh but i mean that's kind of murphy's law yeah where i think patrick dropped the ball was he recognized right away that there was a box missing but he didn't do anything. He didn't call. He didn't phone to find out where it was. He didn't phone to see if they could get another emergency shipment Right. Sent. The box had been, he what, UPS or UPS probably. Uh, and in, and yeah. like Marcus said, I mean, it's he stuck his head in the sand. And it's, when you're an ostrich, we can see you. Right. You, yeah. know, you can't just hide from your problems. So I think there he dropped the ball a little bit. Yeah. Not, not even a little bit. Yeah. He dropped it a lot there. Yeah. Um, and they were running behind in in terms of their mm-hmm. setup at Bloomingdale's. And once again, anybody can backseat drive. I've had so many occasions in my life where maybe I was running a seminar someplace and I was running behind. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not the ideal. Uh, and sometimes things happen. Right. So it's like. I've had that happen before and still kicked ass in terms of sales, in terms of everything. Uh, it's, it's, always, it's never nice to have somebody standing over you going, you screwed that up, you screwed that up, you screwed that up. But sometimes it's necessary for people to get their shit together. Mm-hmm. And so I think in this case, you know. Do you think he'll learn from that opportunity too? See, because he was so good at implementing the feedback from the, in the other occasions, I think that he is malleable and moldable as you said mm-hmm. um i think yeah i think that he can learn from that if as long as he wasn't just putting on a show for tv well and, and that's what that was part of my question when i was watching this is can creative people be problem solvers oh well that's how you solve problems creatively uh-huh. oh. <laughs> ah. so profound yeah there you go uh, I think Einstein said... I mean, said, I was a little bit disappointed with his I was going to give Kelly. an Einstein quote. I'm sorry, go ahead. You stepped right over... I mean, it's you or like, Einstein. You know what? I, I, I'm a little bit more important than you are. Come on, we no, know it's that. It's not me. It's Einstein. That. Damn it. Uh, go ahead. Einstein said that all of our problems are problems of imagination and all of our solutions are solutions of imagination. Mm. And he was a creative dude. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining myself into a $30 million net worth. Okay, so. yeah. Uh, really, are you writing on the tip of a beam of light at the speed of... Uh, yes, light. with lavender, that's, lavender that's energy I'm... fueling into me. Okay, <laughs> creative imagination. There you go. Shoom. But um, but yeah. no, he he has a point. I guess imagination. Who is Einstein? Very yeah, he's got it. maybe <laughs> you know that maybe. Guy, Einstein. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't sell T-shirts. <sighs> no. <laughs> <laughs> he was a little busy. A he, uh, e equals MC squaring. Right. <laughs> so we got four minutes here. We're at right. the top of the. Uh, <laughs> what, what did you. Uh, uh, back to, sorry, sorry, yeah, let's to, wrap to up the uh, Bloomingdale's. Um, 
the, the shipment got lost. Shipping um, lost. Part, of, part of my issue was the fact that his sister Kelly, who is, again, director of logistics, she also didn't make a call. That's, so that's why I kind of point my finger there because, right. again, he's the creative guy. He's busy setting up his storefront, setting up the, the display. Where was she to make the call? Yeah, it's spot um, on. So for me, in that instant, Kelly kind of dropped the ball. Yes, yeah, I think you're 100% right. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting. I mean, ultimately, the bottom, if he's the owner of the company, he's mm-hmm. got, what, 40%. The buck stops with him. Anything, right. he's the captain of the ship. Anything that goes wrong, he's ultimately responsible for. And you're 100% right. So uh, it might have been appropriate for him, uh, her, to have been brought into the conversation with Marcus. Speaking of being brought in, what'd you think of them bringing his dad in? Oh, at the end? see, look at that. There's oh. the heart. There's the heart. So Marcus flies his dad in uh, to the Bloomingdale uh, trunk show. And his dad, the baker, is, uh, yeah. they had lost their mother. Uh, but still a family business, and his I, I, I thought it was very heartwarming. It was very neat. And you saw the love between all four of them. I yeah. thought it was great that um, that the dad was there to see what his son has accomplished. Right. Um, you know, the son left home, left upstate New York for Los Angeles years ago, yeah. and has managed to build a million-dollar business that is recognizable. Did you know this brand before? I didn't. Did you? See, I did, yes. Really? Yes, yes. Okay. I have seen that logo before. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, d- I didn't recognize the logo, but I thought it was I, I, a heartwarming episode. Yes. It reminded me, it, it should have been Christmas time. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like. Uh, we were you so know. warm and fuzzy. Yeah, you watch The Bishop's Wife, uh, <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life, right. and, and this episode of The Prophet. <laughs> Plus, yeah. Right, that's beautiful. Um, so, uh, with that, let's mm-hmm. uh, wrap the top of the hour. We're going to be back next week mm-hmm. uh, after Buzzers with The Prophet, uh, the same time. Same channel. You know where to find us. Yes. But where can we find you? Hit us up. Katarina. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Yes. You can gab with Engage. me on Twitter at Kazias Katerina. Yes, absolutely. Do gab with her. And do hit us up on uh, not only Twitter. Make sure to go to iTunes and download the podcast of these episodes. You can get them intravenously fed to you. Um, you can also reach out to me at Chris Howard Live on both Twitter and Instagram. You can go to my uh, YouTube channel, uh, LegendaryLivingTV.com, and also go to LegendaryLivingDaily.com for daily motivation, inspiration, entrepreneurial tips. And with that, on behalf of AfterBuzz TV, we are your profit crew. We are. We'll see you next week. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 